from Moses, the Midwest Organic and Sustainable Education Service, this is the In Her Boots podcast, a show about women cultivating the sustainable and organic agriculture movement and how she does it. My name is Lisa Kiverest, and I founded and lead the award-winning Moses In Her Boots project, providing training, resources, and support for women farmers. I'm a farmer myself, running in serendipity with my family in Wisconsin, and am the author of Soil Sisters, a toolkit for women farmers. The In Her Boots podcast celebrates the collaborative spirit of us women farmers and all women working to transform our food system and steward our land, sharing ideas and inspiration with each other. Whether you're a woman with a dream of starting your own farm or already have your hands deep in the soil, there's something for you here. Be sure to subscribe so you won't miss anything. Today we continue our conversation with farmer Alicia Rosvi of Woolly Time Microfarm. We'll talk about diversification by adding a value-added cottage food business. Hear how Alicia manages risk by using her abundant fresh produce for various canned items along with baked goods that also provides an opportunity for her teen daughter to be her own cookie entrepreneur. Alicia Rosvi is the owner and operator of Woolly Time Microfarm in Stevens Point, Wisconsin which is a two-acre farm that specializes in CSA, halal butchered poultry, jams and chutneys, and home-baked goods. She serves as president of the Wood Portage Wapaka County Chapter of the Wisconsin Farmers Union and is a graduate of the National Farmers Union Beginning Farmer Institute. We are back with Alicia Rosby of Wooly Time Micro Farm talking about, you know, a favorite topic of mine too, of diversifying through cottage food businesses. And this is a real opportunity for farmers particular, but really anybody with a home kitchen, right? (laughs) Uh, State-specific laws, so things do vary by where you live. But the good news is just about every state now in the country, except for New Jersey, and there's a pending lawsuit there, uh, have something that enables farmers like us to do baked goods or the high acid canned items, or in some states more as well. But the great opportunity is people can go from just growing something to being a food entrepreneur overnight without the hassle of a commercial kitchen bottom line. And that's what you've really taken to heart and have done a bunch of different things, right? Yes. Yes. So we use our CSA model um, to, uh, we mitigate risk in our CSA model, I should say, um, using our baked goods and our canned items. Um, I hold myself to the standard of six to eight fresh vegetables each week, um, and then two value-added items. And um, so that's how we got into this. We started off by growing um, and preserving some of our fruits. Um, you know, truly, it started with a, a grapevines and grape jam, um, but it has um, really expanded out into basically anything that I can um, harvest in abundance and put up and then save for a little bit later in the season or maybe that week itself um, alongside a baked item. And um, we do an 18-week season. We found out very early that uh, baked bread, a a baked sourdough bread was one of the favorite things of our customers. And so that eliminated half of the weeks of me needing to come up with something special every week because every other week we did um, bread and jam. But it has allowed us to 
just like let our creativity flow. We have done um, sun-dried tomato basil bagels, and we've done soft pretzels and scones and cookies and pie. And um, I mean, everything that you can think of, um, if we could use fresh uh, local ingredients, um, especially fruits and vegetables, that was something we tried this this summer. And it was awesome. We um, would harvest on Sunday um, and then bake on Monday and all of our CSA customers pick up on Monday night. And so harvesting on Sunday is kind of a longer day. You're outside, you're bagging everything, or you're collecting all the things, you're washing all the things and getting them put in the cooler. But Monday morning, I woke up before my four o'clock alarm. I was singing in the kitchen. Um, It was just joyful. It was just wonderful uh, to be able to produce 14 sets of whatever I was making um, all summer long. And it actually helped me feel less stressed about our season as it unfolded as well. Um, And what you're talking about too, so with the cottage food laws, like in Wisconsin, it basically includes, for the most part, some states increasingly have other options, but as a rule, the non-hazardous foods, so things like you just mentioned that don't need refrigeration, and that's a wide net. Yes, yeah. I mean, people seem to always want to like talk about cheesecake or something. I'm like, no, just stop. <laughs> you know, there's so much that falls under non-hazardous foods, like yep. you just mentioned, that could be seasonal, that could change seasonally. Especially all the breads and things like you talked about. Those are real easy points of entree. Yes. We um, actually started off by looking uh, through extensive lists that we could find um, online and uh, through library books and found all of the things that we could do. And so many uh, fruit pies are listed and so many um, types of muffins and scones and, uh, like you said, breads are listed as being that non-potentially hazardous. And so that was a a fun term to throw around in our family this summer was making sure that it was non-potentially hazardous. But that has to do with, obviously, food safety matter of it. But there's a lot there. And it's interesting, too, because as I've been learning about this, it it has to do with the chemistry of the ingredients. It's it's not that simple. Do you know what I always right. say? Yep. It's very easy if you are not sure to have a recipe tested at a lab for 30 bucks and you know. But when you mention pies, it often has to do with the amount of sugar in yes. something and the citrus and the interaction. Because sometimes people tend to think non-hazardous is dry or not moist. And I'm like, no, no, that's not it. Because clearly a pie, a pecan pie, which always amuses me because that is not hazardous because it has the right proportions, but that's hardly dry and that's good. So (laughs) there's a lot there. Yes, yes, absolutely. And I guess that's kind of always been the way we looked at things was rather than focusing on the things we could not do, like the pumpkin pie or the cheesecake, we just made a list of all the things we could and worked from there. And um, so I have a 13-year-old daughter and she um, watched me baking all summer long and really enjoying myself. And she's always enjoyed being in the kitchen. Um, And so she approached me and uh, wondered if she could be involved in some of this baking. And um, I have to admit, last summer I... uh, kept it to myself. I wanted that time in the kitchen. I really enjoyed it. And I was um, not sure how our customer base might feel having a 12 or 13 year old daughter working on things. And so she would make uh, 
pies and treats for the CSA customers that came for pickup. Um, she'd wait until I was out of the kitchen and then provide little treats for them and had quite a following by the end of the summer. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> for her um, macarons and her pop Oh, those are hard to make. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. And she um, did this like amazing double whammy thing. She was using our homemade preserves inside our pop tarts and um so she just did this little awesome thing in creating her own customer base um and uh finding her own joy in the kitchen and so this winter when the uh Stevens Point area winter market had some openings um I asked her if she would like to work with me and so every Friday night now she um I do some bakes she does some bakes and then on Saturday morning we go together to the market and we work together and it's lovely it's wonderful it's exciting to me that a 13-year-old girl still wants to hang out with her mom on a Saturday morning and hang out at home baking on a Friday night so that's I'll what's take so <laughs> great about that oh yeah no is she running that like through as her own business or through the farm? It's all together. Yep, it's all part of the farm. Um, we pay her uh, for her time and for her abilities, and um, and then every we are the ones who supply the um, the raw ingredients or the the ingredients that we need uh, in order to keep her happy in baking. <laughs> sure, sure. And what are some of the things you find sell well? So our top two sellers um, in our home-baked goods are uh, the the Pop-Tarts and um, these uh, cookies that are oatmeal, pumpkin seed, craisin. And um, it doesn't matter if I make two batches, three batches, they sell out every week. Um, Kind of a healthy cookie, sort of. We call it the walking breakfast, yes. (laughs) It's got everything but a beef stick. (laughs) Well, now that's a really interesting point to remind folks about cottage food because it's not food service. Do you know, we're not talking about food service that involves the health department. You are not bringing a cake to market and slicing it and serving it with a fork. However, it's important to remember that you can't control, nor does it matter what somebody does with your stuff after they buy them. So that's brilliant to call something a breakfast cookie. (laughs) I'm sure... A lot of those don't leave the market. People munch on them nope, and it's we, a perfect yeah. it's perfect for the market. But it, it is it's not food service from a legal perspective, Correct. but you know what I'm just that there's creative ways to think about things at a market, especially like with you, if you're selling two whole loaves of bread. Great. Somebody buys that and that's their bread for the week. And no, they're not eating that at the market, but they're hungry. Same thing with the Pop Tarts. It's yes. a fun treat. And those, I think, too, it, it's a it's a great example of, and I, I mean, I'm a baker myself, right? But those take time to make. It's something special and unique mm-hmm. that somebody would buy yes. for a treat at the market. Yep. Yep. And we actually started um, those um, smaller items just as this ability to get people to come to the stand and further buy our chutneys or our jams, uh, which are the more which are the shelf-stable things, uh, canned items that we sell, um, we thought that a cookie or a Pop-Tart would be a really great hook. Um, it's actually our most po- our most popular items now. <laughs> so. Were there some things you tried under the cottage food umbrella that yes. didn't fly? Or, or, yes. or might I say, the other factor in this is your time. I mean, something might sell, but 
nobody's going to pay $20 for a muffin. Right. <laughs> you know, if all the, you know, all the time and ingredients went into it. Yes. So we tried, um, uh, a blueberry streusel muffin, which, um, was delicious, but would not sell for the price point that we needed it to sell for. Yeah. Um, and so then it would sit around unless we lowered the price point. Inevitably, they'd go then, but we weren't making any money. Um, or we would hand them out at the end of the uh, at the end of market to all of the farmers who were there because they la- they just didn't move. Um, we also were doing a cinnamon sweet roll uh, for a few weeks, and they were selling out, and they were great until the uh, baker across the way uh, started bringing his sweet rolls and they were the size of dinner plates and they were $1 more expensive than mine were. And so <laughs> uh, that didn't last long either. And we just, we just watch, we just watch and make note of what goes and what doesn't and how do we feel about when we're selling things. Um, Alia, my daughter made these really great chocolate cupcakes with a chocolate um, buttercream and we had researched it's hard to find a shelf stable buttercream <laughs> buttercream always puts me yep yep, yep. But you can find we did shelves. Yes. there's ways to do it yep and we did and we were really proud of ourselves and then those just sat and so um i would have bought her cupcakes <laughs> <laughs> yeah and but you we, never know i mean that's what's so funny about it i mean that's exactly right we we had no idea what kept people away from those cupcakes that week um whether it was the time of the year it was the the um, lack of sprinkles on top. I have no idea, but um, we just try and. But that's what's so fun about cottage food baking is it's all small batch. Yes. So it's not a big investment, and I always say too, it's pretty obvious, but people forget. Don't ever do anything you don't like to eat yourself. Do you know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Unless it's some crazy great seller, but. Yeah, that's the worst case scenario is you're eating them. That's right. Or yep. you're bartering at, at the end of the market the with other of, farmers. But yeah. you know, and you raise a really good point. Sometimes it is it is so random. It's time of year. It's who doesn't like a chocolate cupcake? Well, just right. that day. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but, but to develop your niches and realize too that in a good way, more bakers are coming to market now and trying out new things and what's mm-hmm. what's right for you, especially I would think with your jams and jellies. And the chutneys and things in the jar partner so well with some of your breads yes. in ways that uh, they just go together. Right. Yep. And we um, have, you know, in that regard, uh, the the bread items go really well with our sweet jams. Um, but anything that we do that's savory, like a pepper jam or um, we do a peach basil, which is really popular, um, but people always want to know. They want to sample or they want to know how to best prepare whatever food that goes with the peach basil jam. Um, And the same thing goes with our chutneys. Um, It is very difficult to find a baked good that complements like a tomato chutney, for example. So um, that's something that we have challenged ourselves to figure out. And we're, you know, just going from going forward from there, but um, being able to have samples out really helps. But you you just never know and you just give it a try and you just kind of start brainstorming about what you could potentially sell that again complements some of those uh savory or more unique um items that you have for sale yeah do you find too that at the winter markets you can 
you can get a better price for some of those items too, especially I think around the holidays and yes. people are shopping for gifts. Yes. So the um, specifically the the chutneys and some of our more unique jams like um, our carrot cake jam, our Christmas jam, which was a cranberry um, strawberry with clove um, oh, combination. Nice. Yeah. Um, we were able to make uh, many more batches than I expected um, with those and and all of them were sold um, during the during the holiday seasons. Um, the chutneys really go well as like a stocking stuffer kind of a thing. Um, it's interesting once Christmas, is over. Uh, what happens at the market? Um, things get really, really slow in at least our central Wisconsin market. Um, but you have hopefully um, found a, a few people that you've hooked in with your um, products. And so they'll come back when they're out and um, you've kind of created like a little loyalty there. And um, so that's, that's also been working well for us. Terrific. Yeah. Great. Well, thanks for the eating inspiration i was <laughs> first you gotta make it but then you have to eat it thanks thanks for listening to our in her boots podcast i'm your host lisa kiverest with the moses in her boots project this episode's audio engineer was liam kiverest of techsocket.net the podcast was brought to you by the midwest organic and sustainable education service moses the mission of Moses is to educate, inspire, and empower farmers to thrive in a sustainable, organic system of agriculture. For more information on Moses, in her boots, and a bounty of organic resources, check out mosesorganic.org.